0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, it's me, Chris Wong, here with a new episode of Block Party. On today's episode, Z and I discuss the concepts behind quantum computing, quantum resistance, and how Web3 and blockchain intersect. As always, please note that all opinions on our episodes are our own and should not be constituted as financial advice. Do your own research and invest responsibly. And without further ado, let's tune in.
1: block party is a tech culture podcast we do tech for the people we cover topics ranging from cryptocurrencies blockchain augmented reality artificial intelligence and more our guests include entrepreneurs creatives and influencers block party takes a unique view of tech through the lens of the people living it block party is tech culture
0: I, it's it's a really cold season out here. Well, it's not cold for you over there in beautiful columbia but you know
1: it's, it, it is not cold here. It's it's actually very pleasant. I have both the windows open. It basically feels like spring here, Chris. It's amazing.
0: I'm very <laughs> jealous. I'm very jealous. But off from the uh, fantastical and more to something, I guess something a little less out of our realm of uh, reality, or, or I guess it is actually in our realm of reality. But today I wanted to talk about a concept that both you and Iz looked into like for a very long time and. The more we dug into quantum computing and quantum physics and how that where that intersects with the blockchain, the larger the rabbit hole went. But I felt like it was more important for us to discuss the realities of quantum computing as it stands today, where it could potentially go tomorrow, and how important is it for us as consumers to actually be worried about? Because um, the the deeper we went into, it, it seemed more of a uh, a clickbaity kind of topic you know the concept of quantum computing being able to uh, like undermine the entirety of the blockchain economy and while that is necessarily true uh the more we dug into it there are certain realities that we have to address so before we even get to that i just want to be able to break down some of the bigger grander ideas about this because this is a very technical concept so we're going to keep this very surface level for the the concept for the content for this podcast. And we're going to basically address the fundamental benefits of blockchain technology as it exists today. What is quantum computing? What is a what is a quantum attack and is this actually a problem that we need to be worried about? Um I know you did your research uh in the course of this Z. What what did you come up initially with with uh this whole quantum computing business that we both looked into?
1: Oh man, quantum computing, right? So it it sounds like it, it sounds very clickbaity one for sure definitely nailed it nailed it on the head with that but it also sounds like an imminent problem but in reality it's not right so there's so much process and steps and and you know the stuff that we learned and the notes we compiled about quantum computing I mean some of it definitely hurt my head I don't think we're going to get that far into it but for the most part, I definitely think it is, it could, okay, here, here we go. It could be a problem in the future, right? Yeah. But we can't, we can't make up problems that don't exist yet. I mean, I guess we can, you know, that that's what engineers do. But right now, quantum computing is not a problem, right? It, it, could, it could be a problem, but right now as it stands, it's not. And we're gonna explain later in the podcast why it's currently not a problem, and how current blockchain, or I'm sorry, res, quantum resistant blockchains are trying to even, uh, you know, be, get one step ahead of the curve and com- completely prevent that, right? With what they're trying to do.
0: Yeah, it's super but important.
1: Yeah, but you guys have to understand that quantum being quantum resistant is kind of like uh, you're kind of putting the cart before the horse because we don't actually even have, you know, quantum computers that are viable in that space. Right. That, that are actually trying to hack, you know, blockchains, let alone hack just standard encryption schemes. Yeah. So, so I mean, we're, we're, I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. So let, let's
0: break down. Let's break down the fundamental concept of why we're here in the first place. Blockchain technology. Why are we so invested in crypto cryptographic currency? Why are we so invested in the blockchain? And simply, simply speaking at a high level, the reason why we're all here, ultimately speaking, is that we need to address the problem of authenticity in a prevalent digital future. And what that actually means is how can we guarantee that what people are saying is true where there is no trust? Because that's ultimately what Satoshi Nakamoto addressed with Bitcoin. He had created a trustless system that allowed us all to be on the same page and verify the work that was being done. So, for example, how do I know that Z just sent $5 to this person? Or how does he know that I just sent $5 to that person using ethereum well it's all validated it's all in theory a system decentralized because of proof of work and proof of stake that the verification process is consistently checked the validators are doing what they're doing and the system as a whole performs to the necessity to make sure that all our transactions are secure so the the reason why we're all here is that trustless system in theory Blockchain is really, really ingenious. We cannot underestimate the work that Satoshi actually put in. and Both you and I have great respect for the levels of knowledge that was required to create this system. And in theory, this system is, while not foolproof, very hard to crack. And I think it's also very important for me to establish right here at the beginning of the podcast that there is no such thing as an uncrackable safe there's no such thing as a door you can't open whether it be by brute force or by trickery uh there's always a way to access something it gets harder and harder but there's no permanently foolproof safe but the way that cryptocurrency works today is very very secure except for very specific scenarios excuse me sorry i gotta drink a little bit of water it's it's very heavy. It's very heavy. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take
1: over, Chris. Yeah. So, so basically, what Chris, what Chris is alluding to is that even with you know, uh, with current computing power, current you know, uh, encryption methods, all that stuff, Bitcoin is already hard to crack, right? It doesn't. It doesn't need to be quantum resistant necessarily. Um, maybe in the future there'll be some sort of quantum resistance added by the you know blockchain dot or I'm sorry, Bitcoin dot org developers. Or, or who knows? I'm I'm not even sure it necessarily needs to be. Well, we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. But it would be interesting to brute force like Satoshi Nakamoto's um, original one million Bitcoin wallet address uh, with quantum computing. But you know that's just something that that I think personally would be interesting. Uh, and in fundamentally,
0: essence... fundamentally speaking, why? Uh, I mean, we have to fundamentally understand, I guess, at a base layer the the nature of like how a quantum hack would occur because we talk about quantum resistance a lot we brought up quantum resistance well, how would how would a regular how would
1: do we talk about the fifty one percent hack no how,
0: I think I yeah, think it's, sure. that's very important to bring up
1: yeah yeah so so let's say let's say in theory right quantum computers don't exist we just want to hack you know uh, Bitcoin normally I'm sorry it was like crazy car noises outside so let's say we just wanted to to hack Bitcoin without a quantum computer in a theoretical situation. Can we do that, Chris?
0: Uh, yes. The answer is yes. While hard, like we said, let's just take today's world. You have all of the computing processing at your ability. In theory, if you wanted to hack any blockchain protocol, whether it be Ethereum or specifically to stay, any proof of work uh, protocol that exists right now, so specifically Bitcoin and Ethereum, these protocols are validated by miners people who consistently check the state of the transactions and mint them to the blockchains to make them immutable. Um, in theory, you could do what is known as a 51% hack. And a 51% hack simply is if you took over 51% of the miners and validators that exist in the network and basically edited it so that they all said one thing, the consensus would say something different than the other half the 49% of the validators that you didn't hack. So you would technically be able to make modifications to the protocol that would necessarily deviate from the entire protocol as a whole. And we know this as a hard fork. Technically that is a a hard fork from what is already existing. Now, the co- the problem with that is while what I said sounds easy, it's actually really difficult because the larger the networks become, the harder and more resistant they become to brute force hacking like this there's There's just simply not enough computing power unless if you had literally uh the Bitcoin protocol's worth of computers, like if I don't know, the United States government decided to dedicate all of their computing power to attack the blockchain protocol. They in theory could do this, but it would be too much effort it would It's just as the network grows and as time progresses. The concept of a 51% hack will get harder and harder because you couldn't orchestrate this from a single location. Theoretically, which brings us to the concept of quantum computing, I guess a branch of quantum physics, and how do actual quantum computers work? And I think in order to be able to address this, we need to understand how does regular computing in your phones, in your computers, in a calculator, how, how does... How does regular computing work? And you're the one who actually made me more aware of this. Like, you have, you're the one with the more computing knowledge background. Uh, and from my understanding, computing as a whole is very binary. It exists in either states of zero or states of one to make up all the data that we see so far. Is that, is that what I'm?
1: You know, just like you said, it operates on a binary system, state of logic. Zero, one, right? Yes or no, A or B. And this logic allows for computations to be written today, including the c- c- cryptography that we use today. So you probably heard of computer chips or, or uh, microchips or what have you. These things have gotten smaller and smaller over the year, but we've been able to fit more transistors in them, And basically, a transistor is just a switch that's able to um, compute uh, say yes or no, right? It's just yeah. able to just able to switch between on and off or one or zero, right? every time there's a computation that transistor does a one or a zero and even something as simple as the letter a has a sequence of zeros and ones behind it that's written on your computer is binary right or, or it could be boiled down to binary so your your youtube video that you're watching that streaming netflix video um your google docs everything is just a series of ones and zeros we built you know more optimal layers on top of that uh more high level programming and scripting languages. So we don't have to write out everything in zeros and ones. That's basically just so we or or that's a for us, and the computer interprets that in ones and zeros, right? So yeah. it's just essentially translating it for the the computer for the for the transistors, right? Um, for the microchips, for the computer chips. But a uh, quantum computer is a little bit different in the sense that it can calculate both zero and one simultaneously, right? So this allows for a lot more. Efficient computational workloads uh, compared to the existing structure I just described, right? So it could be um superimposed, right, or superimpositioned um, if that's for, the right. For, way.
0: for 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 I guess the general people who might be listening, the, if if we're gonna boil that down super simply, a quantum computer is a regular computer that is hypercharged in its ability to efficiently do computing. It could run, for example millions of computations in the amount of time that it would take 10 computers to do that exact same computation. It literally runs laps. It's the F1 of cars. It's, it's straight up a rocket launcher, a, a, rocket, a rocket ship going two times the speed of light compared to your Toyota. You know, the, a quantum computer is highly efficient at being able to accomplish this to the extent of the research that I've done. Here, is, yeah. here in lies. Is-
1: well there's there's definitely some limitations to quantum computers to, as of today. um, but we we can get into like you know that stuff so so let's 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 actually
0: break down that concept. So let's let's write off the 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 reality. while quantum computing sounds really cool. It exists in superimposed positions. It can do high level calculation and data data correlation. It can run simulations that regular computers can't run. It could, in theory, be able to brute force uh, a protocol. It's, in theory, able to be able to brute force a wallet. For example, Satoshi Nakamoto's $1 million, $1 million coin wallet. Uh, the insidious nature of what quantum computing can do to the existing blockchain schema is that maybe not while uh, doing a full-on hack, while, while it is possible for a quantum computer... It could silently pull out wallets. It could be able to find cryptographic keys. And I think this is the most important part that we have to address. What exactly is a quantum attack? How exactly does a quantum attack work? And how, did, how is that relevant to you? So this is a point. There are many things that go into what does a quantum attack look like. But I think this is the most important theory or the important point that every single person who owns cryptocurrency should understand your cryptocurrency is a series of three really basic components it is a private key a public key and a signature that verifies those the the it's really simple you don't really have to understand how each one individually works but you just need to understand the relationship between the three a private key can access a public key a public key cannot access a private key. a private key is where your cryptocurrency is stored that's where all the, the 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 action actually happens your wallet is a private key that is only known to your public that is that is referenced to your public key but your public key cannot reference your private key, and that is a really important thing so if uh the best way to explain this is let's say i give you a safe I give you the blueprint to a safe and I give you a code to said safe. In theory, you can use the code to the safe to open up the you can open up the 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 safe that I gave you. But let's say I just gave you a code and I told you open it, this opens up some safe. You wouldn't know exactly what safe that opens. You wouldn't be able to crack the cut. Co- you wouldn't be able to know what wallet. If I just gave you a random, a random combination, like 18, 12, 36 or something like that. It'd be like, okay, you gave me a random combination. Where does it go? But the combination of that that private key or that public key with the safe can actually figure it out. But what if, for example, you could brute force and basically reverse engineer this idea where you could use just the code to figure out the safe that it belonged to? And that's scary. That's a scary idea that regular computers can't do today. But a quantum computer in theory could now i think it's important for us to ask is this a problem do we need to solve now and z what, what do you actually see the reality of this this relationship between quantum computing today with the general quant with the general blockchain schema that we have right now currently
1: well that's a good question i mean you know the, the problem is that there's no 100% quantum uh, working quantum computers or or I think the, the, I think the terminology that's used is uh, fault-tolerant quantum computing, right? Mm-hmm. So at, um, IBM unveiled, I forget the name of it, but they unveiled their new quantum computer. And the, the number of qubits that it currently has it is 127, which is actually massive. So it's actually a massive amount of qubits. I think we went from 50 to 70 to 127, something like that. And it's, it, this is a massive amount of qubits. And qubits are basically like... Um, well the the things used to process things in the quantum state right or to to identify things in the quantum state
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, now if we were to if if we were to try to use that to decrypt current banking encryption systems, um we would need twenty to forty x the amount of qubits, uh, which still wouldn't be enough, and even then you know encryption schemes could stay ahead of this uh, for the foreseeable future so even if quantum computers got to that point where they could brute force encryption schemes, you know, they could just, they could just change the encryption schemes and, and make it a little bit more complex. Yeah. But the, the issue also comes full circle again, because, you know, quant- counting qubits is not a very good way to estimate the power of quantum computers because quantum computers are basically unstable as fuck. Right. So you, you you have to understand that the way these things work, that the way they compute things in the quantum realm is that they're they're kept super 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 cold, um, something like negative two hundred seventy degrees Kelvin or something like that. So basically,
0: the temperature of space.
1: Yeah, exactly. And these things have to, you know, in order to to process things or to to, to compute you know, things in the quantum realm, it has to be really really small, guys. so really cold and really small. Basically, we're trying to freeze things in microspace or micros- microscopic super subatomic space and then keep them suspended in a quantum state, right? So basically, in order to perform a quantum computation, it's necessary, amongst other things, to establish an entangled quantum state and then perform some operations on the entangled qubits. Um, entanglement chris uh, elaborate on what entanglement is
0: give me yo entanglement is oh man
1: (laughs) so so we have the note we have the notes here somewhere but basically entanglement from my understanding is when both uh, subatomic particles share the same state no matter where they are in that in, in in relation to each other in, in terms of distance. See, so that's it, that's
0: such a crazy concept. That's why I was like cuz it's really hard to like really convey that simply, but it's basically saying that
1: the- I'm not saying I understand it fully, right? We're not quantum physicists here, guys. No, not but, at all. Yeah, yeah, but but basically you 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 want to keep them in this uh, quantum state, entangled quantum state, right? And then you would perform some operations on entangled, entangled uh, qubits, right? Um, but it raises the question is, like, can, can actual hardware – so we, bu- we build these massive uh, quantum computers that – they, they kind of look like funnels, to be honest, where it keeps getting colder and colder and colder the, the further it goes down. And then at the end of this funnel, the, the, the coldest part, I, I guess, um, is where that qubit or that microchip is, right, that mm-hmm. quantum microchip is. And that's where, you know, that's where a qubit, that, that's, that's one qubit, right? And that's where we can basically create this entangled quantum state with other qubits. in so there's other, other uh, quantum processors doing the same thing. And we're trying to keep them in this entangled state. But the hardware uh, is an issue, right? Because when we're working with th- this degree of, like, you know, Old, this negative 270 degrees Kelvin, and we're also do, you know doing things in subatomic space or, or what have you. Every single slight deviance in the real world affects you know the actual hardware, right? So how long can we maintain this entangled state for? Um is one, question number one. Like, how long can we actually ma- maintain this entangled state? Because yeah. there has to be a certain amount of time that it's entangled for us to be able to. You know perform those those computations right so you remember if we go back to those transistors they're they're going between one and zero one and zero right they're they're basically solving really really simple math problems and Kurzgisage shout out to Kurgisaga did, did a really great exam um, video on quantum computing so quantum quantum um, quantum qubits are doing the same exact thing quantum chips or quantum computing doing the same exact thing except you know they have a lot more uh, tools at their disposal right because not only can they be one and zero, they could be uh, one and zero at the same time. So um, it's not really about the qubits. It's about can we maintain these qubits long enough for us to solve something, you know, worthwhile? Can we even crack? Can we even have time to crack um, a, a banking encryption scheme? Right? Do we have the time? So The,
0: the hardware currently, as it, says today, as it stands today, just isn't, isn't up to cut. Here's the thing, though, and this is just the grand understanding of reality of the last 30 years. Nobody thought we'd have tiny transistors that were 14 like nanometers and now we have entire we have entire phones that do more con, uh con, do more computational load than the entirety of the Apollo missions back in the 1960s and the 1950s. So could this potentially be a problem in the future where we could actually develop like hardware technology up to stuff to be able to maintain this? It's very likely. It's actually more likelier than we, we frame it to be. It's just not an issue that we'll see in the next three years. But ultimately speaking, we have to also ask the question. I mean, it's super expensive to develop quantum computers. I mean, realistically, there are only a couple of people. Like, like you mentioned, IBM is, is developing their quantum computer. D-Wave from Google developing their quantum computer. Obviously, there are certain governments that are operating with quantum computers like in mind. But it's highly expensive for people to be able to actually develop quantum computing to be able to uh to to actually be able to achieve the dream of quantum computing, which is to be able to calculate large sums of data.
1: Yeah, like and, and also, I, I actually forgot to mention that even with even with like 127 qubits, right? Modern processors, all those you know, um, the, you know, the, the, the processors are able to work cohesively with each other. So even if there was 127 qubits on, you know, IBM's latest design, can they actually work with each other? Can they participate with each other? And the answer for modern or with current, uh, computer quantum computer designs, the answer is actually no. Um, it, it can't, right. Um, it, it's not like, It's not that they can't, it's just that they don't operate fully effectively or fully efficiently, right? Um, Because they're operating in some sort of mesh or matrix. I mean, it really depends on, you know, the design of the the quantum computer. But um, not all qubits are easily accessible for all these operations. So it's not like the full 127 qubits are being fired off and they're working perfectly in sync, you know, with each other. It's definitely like... You know, there's definitely some some problems to be solved, right? Yes. Yeah. In in quantum computing, um, just just the, just the hardware aspect some issues already. So I, I think uh, you know don't don't count the qubits as one for sure. Um, but going back to what you were saying, Chris, like who's actually like uh, working on this? So big tech conglomerates for sure. Um, governments sounds probably correct, right? Large nation states, China, Russia. The Saudis, I don't know, um, yeah. are probably working with some sort of quantum computing uh, engineers or organization to, to build something, because no you know large nation state wants to be 10 years down the line without a quantum computer. right A quantum computer
0: f- is basically like the science fi- the science fiction version of like the nuclear option in, in, this, in this sense. It's: Exactly,
1: exactly. So we're not the future of the war, the future of wars in my opinion, are not going to be fought with guns and soldiers. It's going to be fought in cyberspace. And it, I, I think they're already being fought in cyberspace, right? It's not like, you know, that like terrorists don't necessarily represent nation states, right? Terrorist organizations represent ideologies. And as, as we've seen with, you know, major terrorist attacks around the world, they can operate within, uh, you know, free uh, democratic welfare states where a lot of the terrorist attacks do occur. So you know and that you know that occurs as a result of you know, destabilized nations or in, in an in intent to destabilize western nations etc so like i don't i think that quantum computers are just um new tools could be well could be new tools for nation states to to, to fight in this in this And then uh, and then the,
0: let's uh, let's really think let's think about the 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 reality of the future that we paint of a reality where cryptocurrency becomes Uh, equal participant in the global economy and i've always said this before while bitcoin and ethereum and all these cryptocurrencies may not have the greatest impact in first world countries like america or uh, canada or wherever you have it they'll definitely serve underserved countries that don't have stable banking economies like the balkans like uh southeast asia like uh, latin america africa could definitely benefit from it and these are a lot of locations where ne- not necessarily first world countries want them to not be dependent. They don't want the independence of these countries. They need that dependency. But blockchain technology allows the sovereign individual to become detached from the nation state ideology. So a thing that will allow the playing field to be even because Blockchain technology definitely is a large, large knock on the front door of the existing economic uh, consortiums that exist today, and they're going to want to be able to participate greater in their ability to maintain that dominance, and quantum computing definitely is that answer. So while we may not see quantum computing become commercial in the next 10 years, we will definitely see large players and participants using quantum computing to have a better grip on data structures such as uh blockchain technology and just big data in general but for the for, for the for the convenience of this conversation i'm keeping it specifically to the blockchain community and cryptocurrency specifically but we do see that maybe the the war between blockchain and quantum computing won't necessarily end here today and it may not end in 10 years but it'll definitely become more imposing as both sides grow in their ability to relate to each other. But we also have to ask the question then, uh, who are the players in this today? And what does this mean for the, ex- the relationship down the line? And there are a couple of players right now. Uh, I don't want to get too in-depth to e- any single one of them. There's Cell Frame that you put me on Z, Nexus, Quantum Resistant Ledger, just to name a few of them. Not a lot of people are really going out of their way to be Quantum Resistant. And guys, just for y'all, you all listening, quantum resistance is just basically different methods to be able to outpace the calculations of quantum computing. So it, while not necessarily impossible for them to decrypt, it makes it harder and harder in the same time frame that Z just mentioned, where these computers cannot operate for long periods of time just because the hardware isn't isn't capable of being able to achieve that. But if they can just outlast the ability for these quantum computers to be able to decrypt this cryptography, then for all intents and purposes, you have a quantum-resistant blockchain. And I think this is the most important part. Sorry for ranting, Z. But no, no, I think I think
1: you what you said just makes a lot of sense, and it's basically just different um, tools or different frameworks for preventing quantum hacking. Quantum yeah. resistance. Quantum resistance isn't a. You know, one thing. You know, it, it's a, it's a, it's the method, right, by which quantum resistance is achieved, and all these projects you mentioned are trying to achieve quantum resistance in different capacities, right? And and it's no different than if we were to take a really old encrypted computer or a computer from the 1980s with, you know, a smartphone, an Apple smartphone, a, a new one, we could probably Crack, okay. all, yeah, crack an old computer, and that's just because you know the encryption schemes were much simpler, and our our pocket phones or our you know iPhones or mobile phones are just way more powerful now. So, like I mentioned mad- before, yeah. yeah,
0: like like for example, like I said, your your phone, your iPhone today, could run the Apollo missions back in the nineteen sixties.
1: Yeah, like- exactly. So it's kind of just get keeping ahead, you know, the curve. I think this is a little bit um you know uh, i personally think they're they're kind of solving a problem that doesn't exist yet but at the same time you know that that's how you stay ahead of the curve so there there is there is some there's definitely validity in what they're doing i personally just think that right now quantum resistance or you know the the this whole fear of quantum computers like you know breaking into you know decrypting you know your Your banking's algorithm and like, you know, siphoning off everyone's money next month is just not going to happen realistically, you know, because engineers are, are very aware of where quantum computing is and what it could do and what it could accomplish. And in fact, you can actually play around with quantum computers if you want. There is a website, I believe, where if you're interested in quantum computing, you can do it through the cloud. So there's cloud quantum computing. And I don't know what the website is. But um, cloud, quantum computing, if you put that into Google and then, y- you know, you're interested in it, you could actually try quantum computing. If you're curious, like what what can you do with quantum computing? Um, I don't know. Yes,
0: it's super interesting. I mean, like, I, I really do believe that by advancing this particular technology, while not necessarily useful for uh, decrypting the entire blockchain protocols, which is a little more insidious and nefarious and that kind of dystopic matrix overlord situation we definitely can use quantum computing to be able to collate large amounts of data for example stuff that happens in space there's so many random variables out there that we're going to need stronger computers to be able to travel throughout space or expand beyond earth or be able to combat the variables that happen here on planet earth when it comes to weather when it comes to like just large geographical patterns that we won't be able to predict with our computing powers today it's, i think I think it's a hundred percent something that we need to look at as a society
1: um you know we, we don't like I said we don't have you know currently we don't have any uh, you know quantum computers available that can on a macro scale where we can you know uh, potentially hack the Bitcoin blockchain or anything like that. It's more just for an awareness type of situation, so you know we we have uh, we, we put quantum computing in the right hands right and we foresee potential third parties and elements that might try to use quantum computing for nefarious purposes. It's basically like kind of like a a fight against, well, I don't want to say a fight against good or evil, right? But it's basically quantum computing, quantum resistance, quantum computing. And both I think are advancing at at a similar pace. And it's just that's just naturally how it's gonna work, in my opinion. And once we get to that, once we'll get to that. Personally I'm interested in cloud quantum computing, right? Because if you if we have access to cloud quantum computing, then who knows? You know, like a lot of people could figure out, oh, you could do this much more simply on a, a quantum computer than is possible on a on a regular computer. Right. And, and stuff that you mentioned, like like weather forecasting and stuff like that, definitely, you know, a worthwhile I'm actually more interested in what quantum computing can do. Like what is it better at doing than than traditional computers?
0: And like you said, like you just mentioned, like think about the dichotomy between cloud quantum computing and the blockchain protocol which is decentralized like computing as a whole done by more people and more people being involved in it decentralized ultimately raises the nature of the game higher and farther so it's so funny that that are uh, not funny it's uh, it's just like a weird relationship between between the two concepts of just being able to do more together separately It's like a very, very interesting thing when we look at uh, the blockchain, like uh, blockchain and we look at quantum computing. And I think to conclude this entire podcast, uh, I think it's like ultimately that we acknowledge what does this mean for the crypto community as a whole? And the way I see it, I don't know how you necessarily see it like in the future, Z, but while while when I first started doing my research, I was like, oh, snap. Uh, I should invest all my money into like Cell Frame or Quantum Resistant Ledger, any one of these Quantum Resistant uh, tokens. Well, not a bad idea now where it's like cents on the dollar. uh, The reality is, is that uh, there are a lot of smart programmers working or already aware of Quantum Resistance for existing protocols. All they would really need to do is implement Quantum Resistance into existing protocol chains, for example, Bitcoin. The moment somebody says, oh, we have a quantum computer that can hack Bitcoin, they could just hard fork it and and basically implement quantum resistance into Bitcoin. And now you have a resistant Bitcoin. Now, the question is, how quickly does that happen? And can you get all the miners and validators on the same level is a different story. And maybe it might shake the faith that we have in this trustless system. But ultimately speaking, there are capable people at the helms of all these different organizations. I'm pretty sure Vitalik Buterin is thinking about this as a whole, and he's not just going to let all his hard work be undermined by a potential, a uh, potential hardware, uh, by h- potential hardware in the future that doesn't exist today.
1: Um. Yeah. That, not- I I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Like the the minds of today, I I think they're looking at it. You know like they're keeping an eye on it right there it's not like they're they, it's not like they're ignoring it or focusing on it they're just keeping an eye on it because the people that are advancing this technology are basically the engineers because right now the engineering portion for quantum computing has to be figured out right uh quantum computers just have high error, error rates you know the, the and the reason they have high error rates is for the reasons you know, we talked about before they just need to be kept ultra cold and basically any physical deviation in in the real world will have implications in the quantum state so compared to classical computers or classical computing you know they have really low error rates and they could operate at room temperature there's no special you know uh special cooling or special hardware that's needed or for it to operate so you know um and guys just just to rehash what quantum computing quantum computing is versus traditional um and calculate with qubits which represent what zero and one at the same time versus traditional computing which can e- either represent zero or one so binary system. Um, the the promise or the future in quantum computing is that the power the power increases exponentially in proportion to the number of qubits, right? Versus the one to one relationship with the number of transistors in our in our traditional classical um computing system. Um, again, remember so that that increase in exponential uh, power is also mitigated by the fact that quantum computers are highly unstable essentially yeah. right and um you know for for the most part almost every, almost everything can be best handled by classical computing right by processors. but for the future, when you know quantum computers are are a lot more stable, um, they'd be best suited for for Optimization problems, uh, data analysis, and and things like simulations, right? So, you know, they definitely will serve a purpose in the future.
0: And with that, um, I think I think we've covered all the major parts. So, everybody, have a happy holidays. Uh, spend time with your family, spend time with your friends, spend time with your loved ones, and we'll catch you in twenty twenty two, where there are going to be a whole bunch of new topics and problems. We're not going to we're not going to
1: drop we're not going to drop another podcast, Chris, for for these guys. Um, might, might have a, holiday. Might have a little special,
0: a little, Christmas special, a little, a little Christmas episode. We could well, we hopefully, hopefully Santa
1: comes, man, because it looks like Santa's holding out. Um, it looks like Christmas got canceled in Crypto Land, man. What's yeah. going on?
0: I don't know. I thought look.
1: it was BTC to 150k.
0: no 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 Look, look at what's happening to AVAX though. AVAX just hit high highs. 120. Oh
1: wow! Look at AVAX, man. Oh, what else? What else is doing as well?
0: I don't. I don't really know what's, what else. The market. The market's Avax, been kind of sideways, but a lot of things have been bouncing. Polygon, and,
1: Polygon, and AVAX are really doing work. Well, we could have a price discussion in another podcast, but Polygon, Polygon is up. So is AVAX, guys. Make yeah, sure but, you pick your winners right now.
0: And you know what? That's that's probably a really good idea. A, a picks for twenty twenty two episode.
1: Yeah, I, I think picks I'd, for I'd be interested in that yeah yeah we could, we could definitely do that let, let us know guys but um um quantum resistance quantum computing hope you guys enjoyed this episode um don't be worried anytime soon quantum uh alien quantum computer is not going to hack into your bank account and take your worthless <laughs> usd trash tokens i'm just kidding guys <laughs> that's in Bitcoin.
0: So talk to you later guys peace peace and this was the Quantum Resistance episode of Block Party. This episode was brought to you by myself, Chris Wong, and my co-host, Zillard Gabor. If you like this episode, you can follow us on TikTok at blockparty.io, on Spotify and Apple Music at Block Party, and on Instagram at BlockPartyPodcast. Podcast. You can follow us individually at It's Me, Chris Wong, and at ZTrapamoto. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, give us a thumbs up, and share it with everybody that you know. It really does help out a lot. We look forward to seeing you on the next one. Peace.